you are here. And that's why we praise you, God, because you are the victor. And we sing through our battles because you are the one that fights for us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the fact that you're present. You're here. We don't need to invite your presence because you're already here. You're already in the room, Jesus. So thank you for the fact that you are our king. You are the conqueror. You're the victor. In your name we pray. My name is Evan, I'm the lead pastor here, and it is just great to be a part of this team that we have, and great to see you all this morning, especially great to have Yuri here in town as he flew in from Oregon, and yesterday it looked like he brought his weather with him, so <laughs> that was very nice. But hey, that's one of the things that has changed since we've moved here, is now we like the rain, because my grass really needs it, and so I was happy about it. But nonetheless, good to see you all this morning. We just have a few announcements coming up. The first one is going to be about a baptism class that is upcoming on October 24th, and that will be 11.45 after church, or maybe noon, depending on how long I preach that day. But after church on Sunday, October 24th, we're going to have a baptism class. And so if you have not been baptized before, and you are interested in learning about what it means to be baptized, or if you have sensed God calling you to make that statement of faith in your life, join us October 24th after church for a class where we're going to talk about what that means and if that is the right step for you at this point in your faith. And so I know someone has already signed up, so we're excited about that. We've got a potential baptism coming up. And then I just wanted to invite anyone else who is interested in baptism to join us October 24th after church. Also happening in the upcoming weeks is, and I don't remember which announcements are going, so if you just click through, then we'll talk about them. But we have had a lot of babies in this church over the last year, and we have a few more upcoming as well. And one of the things that we practice as a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church are child dedications. And so if you're interested in hearing about child dedications and what this practice is and what the significance is, then join us after church uh, Sunday, November 7th, as we're going to go through, essentially just like we're doing with baptism, we're going to go through this practice of child dedication and explain exactly what this means and then schedule some of the families um, to have a time when they can bring their children up before the church and dedicate them to the Lord and then invite us, their church family, to gather around these young ones and to care for them and to be the family to them. And so if you're interested in child dedication, join us for that. The following week after that, Sunday, November 14th, um, we're going to have a special guest, John Enos, who works um, for South Dakota Kids Belong, which is a foster care advocate uh, organization. And John Enos is going to come provide lunch for us after church and talk to us about how we as the church can help support foster families and foster kids and how we can play a role in bringing Christ's hands and feet to this community. Or maybe some of you are going to sign up to be foster parents. Who knows? We might have that opportunity as well. And so I would highly encourage you, not just for the free lunch, but as we continue to look into ways that we can better serve our community and better ways that we can be just Christ's hands and feet in the places in our community that need it the most, uh, join us Sunday, November 14th after church for lunch where we get to hear about how we as the church can partner with foster families, how we can care for foster kids, and how we can really be the light to this community. So join us for that. And John is a great speaker, and he has a lot of good things to say about things that we can do to help this community. Tonight, we have Hot Topics. And so we took a break from Hot Topics last week, but they are back 
This is a study where we gather together Sunday nights at 7 p.m. across the way in Dark Hall to talk about the most controversial issues facing our culture today, or some of the most difficult theological concepts that we might face as Christians. And so we're going through those topics, learning how to think about them biblically, learning how to discuss with, with one another in a loving way. And tonight we're going to talk about the always fun conversation about Bible translations. What is the best one? What is the worst one? Is there such a thing? Is that a false dilemma? And all of the above. And so we're going to talk about Bible translations and how we trust the Bible tonight. 7 p.m., Hot Topics, it is back, so join us for that. And then, always something I remind you about is if you have any more questions, if you're curious about what is going on at Common Ground, go to the website. We have an events and updates page that will tell you everything that is coming up and everything that is happening. And then, I'm very happy to announce that for the last year, I've been trying to get a calendar on our website to work properly. I'm not a website builder. They don't teach you that in Bible school, unfortunately. But one of the issues is that every time I would try to connect a calendar to our church website, somehow it was connected to Jonas's school in France. And I have no idea how that could work. And so anytime I would upload a calendar, I would set our Common Ground church calendar on the bottom in the middle of the page. I would hit publish. And then the calendar would be up in the top right corner, sideways, and it would all be in French. At a French middle school, and that was not helpful. And I struggled with that for a year, and the devil tried to continue to persist, but you know, through prayer and fasting and, and petition, we got it to work. So there's also now a calendar on our website that will have all the events, all the information, all the things that are taking place in and around this community for you to see. So I would encourage you, if you're ever wondering what's going on or what time something might start, go to the website, check it out because I slaved away for a year to make it work, and it finally did, so I want somebody to notice. <laughs> Good, thank you. Now with that, I'm going to invite you to rise to your feet again and engage in what we call here awkward social interaction time. And so would you greet one another and tell them how your week has been and try to find people that you've never met before and remember a name. So go ahead and engage in that.
temperatures kind of shade up a little bit late for that fire up north. Yeah. Get off. At least I think it's pretty much out. Should be. Yeah, that was a rugged one. I didn't realize it started only a couple hundred yards from Charlie's house. Yeah, probably pretty close to them, yeah. Would you surrender to his love and just let him pour over you? 
Let's sing together.
tithes and your offerings. There's a box in the back, and you're also, I'm sure you're aware of the ways to give online. Also, if you want to give up your time um, to give to this church, to volunteer, to serve others, you're also invited to do that. Let's keep worshiping. Yeah. 
Thank you, Yuri. It's so nice to have you here today to lead with us. Uh, and you ought to give a thanks to Yuri for a little extra time. Uh, so now's our time as a church where we uh, share with one another and pray with one another. Uh, before we get into that time, I just wanted to update us or remind us that we still have some uh, prayer requests that are on board. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Ron Baker and Charlie Rupp as uh, they continue to face health issues. Let's continue to pray for them and God's hand to be upon them. Uh, Charlie actually left a message on Facebook yesterday, and that to me just kind of blew me away that he must be feeling a lot better that he would get on Facebook. Uh, so but we're going to continue to pray that uh, his condition improves. Um, let's also remember Ben and Kevin as they are in the field on missions right now and also uh, Antonia as she is weighing out God's calling to her uh, perhaps into the mission field. And then Jamin, we've been praying for Jamin and uh, guess what, last Sunday uh, they ended the lockdown uh, where he's at. So uh, Evan told me that he got a picture and Jamin went to the beach and he almost kind of halfway frowned smiled. So that's pretty ecstatic for, for Jamin. All right, um, so uh, some of the things we need to be praying for today is, uh, I got a list of names here. Matt Kanowski, Mark Cole, Tim and Mandy Barker, and maybe Chris Romanenko because we're never sure about Chris Romanenko. But uh, they're all dealing with COVID right now. So let's pray for them as they uh, go through that time. And there might be others as well. And also, we just need to be praying a little extra this week for Justin and Sarah Gwynn. Uh, they too have gone through COVID. Um, before they were uh, realized they had contracted it, their in-laws came to visit them. And while they're their in-laws, uh, both got it and Sarah lost her dad. So that just happened Tuesday. So also we got word that uh, Justin's grandmother is also battling it. So they're really uh, in it right now. They're traveling to attend the, the, the memorial service for Sarah's dad and then going off to see his grandma. So if you think about them, also we donate and we support uh, his ministry at, uh, um, at the School of Mines. And so these traveling uh, expenses are going to probably offset some of the things. So if you think of Justin Gwynn, not only pray for him and Sarah, but also maybe we can direct a little bit of giving their way to help support them uh, as they go through this difficult time. So uh, now that being said, we've got a lot to pray for, but there's still our concerns on our own hearts. I want to read us a portion of Psalm 54, the first part of verse 22, where it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So that's our opportunity now to cast our burdens upon the Lord. Evan will be running with the mic, so if there's anything you'd like to share, he'll come right to you, and Corinne has her hand up, Evan. Um, so, as many of you know, uh, my boyfriend is living home in Minnesota. Um, he's got a great group of friends that he's cultivating there at his church, um, and uh, last night he had some troubling conversations, so I'm going to read a text from him. Um, it says, I have a friend that I made at Young Adults Group that needs a lot of prayer. She struggled in the past with depression and suicidal thoughts and actions. In the past week, she has asked a lot of questions and avoided answering questions about how she's doing. She really needs to be lifted up and encouraged by God in her struggles. Pray for her and her struggles and for those around her that they could be there to encourage her and her walk with God. 
Okay, all right, we will pray for that friend today and others who may be going through the same uh, sort of struggle. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, uh, I'm Jacob, and my friend Luke, who's usually with us, uh, is, he went to urgent care this morning because he felt really sick yesterday and he didn't think it might be COVID. So uh, just prayers that it's not that, and if it is, that he gets over that well. So. Okay, all right, let's pray for Luke. You said run with the mic, but I'm going to walk. <laughs> And you know, I'm the only straw here. Sorry, no parents. <laughs> About uh, six months ago, I had a pop. They uh, gave me a possible uh, seizure and well, the law is you can't drive for six months and everything. It's yesterday, I'm free now, but we go again. <laughs>
keep them strong, keep them healthy. We pray their symptoms are light and that uh, recovery would be rapid. And God, um, we pray for uh, Ben's friend uh, and others who might be during this time just really struggling with depression, anxiety, worries, burdens in life. Lord, your word tells us that, that we need to let go of our burdens and, and, and let you take them and let you sustain us. So we pray for Ben's friend today that she would be able to do that. We pray, God, that you would surround her with other people like Ben who would support her and encourage her. So uh, breathe your spirit into Ben in such a way that he can be a help to his friend in, in this time. And Lord, thank you that uh, Christina is able to drive again and uh, we are so glad for the help that she got during the time while she was waiting. Lord, we pray you'll just continue to keep your hand on Christina's life and guide her in the way that you would have her go. And uh, finally, Lord, um, we lift up Justin and Sarah to you. They're our brother and our sister, and we love them dearly. And we know that they're going through just a really difficult time. First of all, recovering from COVID, but having lost Sarah's dad and, and now his mom, his grandmother with it. God, there's just so much that's weighing on their hearts today. And so we pray that uh, somehow, Lord, in the midst of their travels, in the midst of their grief, and in their midst of sustaining one another and praying for one another, God, that God, you would just show yourself mighty to them. We pray, God, that uh, both Justin and Sarah and their girls, too, would just come out of this, Lord, with a, with a whole new sense of how vast your love is uh, for them and for the people they minister to. So God, will you sustain their faith? Would you sustain their, their hearts? And also God, sustain them financially as they go through this very, very challenging time right now. And finally, God, uh, we pray for our, our pastor, Evan. And Lord, thank you for his eagerness to preach your word. Thank you for the desire that he has to, to learn from you and then to take what he's learned and to impart it to us. And so we, got, we just pray that um, you would open our hearts and our ears and our spirits to understanding of you and knowledge of you. And we pray, God, that your spirit would rest on us and our pastor so that as he opens his mouth and opens your word, that together we hear what you want us to hear today. And Lord, may, may that cause your kingdom to increase. And may that cause Jesus to be glorified in every aspect of this body of believers in our individual lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. I love getting to teach this guy. He just brings such a joy, such a good sense of humor to our church family. And then thank you for leaning into praying um, for healing. Because we truly believe that Jesus Christ is our healer. He's still active in healing today. So continue to, to bring those requests um, before God this week. Hopefully you've written down some of those things, and hopefully you have your common ground family on your hearts and minds and in your prayers as we pray. And now today, I, I wasn't planning on bringing up the fact that Mark Cole was supposed to preach, and then I found out uh, yesterday morning that he's not going to be able to, and I thought I had the whole week to not have to worry about a sermon, but here we are, because I was thinking, I can get away with it without you guys noticing. <laughs> Maybe sloppy or unorganized the sermon is, but I guess now all gigs are up, right? You can see. But that's okay, because you all know what we've been preaching about for the last few weeks. We have been in a series on the I Am Statements, where we are looking at 
What is the most important question we can answer as followers of Jesus for this world? And that question is, who is Jesus? Okay, well then how do we answer that question? How do we determine who Jesus is? We decided we would look at what he said about himself. We would look about what he claimed about himself. And so we're going through these statements that Jesus made throughout the Gospel of John, where he revealed something about who he is, about his character, and about what he does in our lives. And we've gone through a variety of them so far. We've gone through Jesus as the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd. And now we are reaching Jesus as the resurrection and the life. This claim Jesus made when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is a powerful statement made by Jesus. In a lot of the statements that he made with the I am statements, they were a little confusing. You know, when he told a bunch of people that he had just fed, he said, you know, I'm the bread of life. And they're like, okay, so like we don't get free lunch again? Or like, what exactly does that mean? And he, he didn't get it, and he had to explain it to them. And then, you know, Jesus said, I am the door. And then his followers are like, so there's another door? But what's behind that door? Vegetables? You guys don't know the movie, that's okay. Jake, Jake is here. Where's Jake when I need you? And oftentimes, in the I am statements, bonus points to whoever figures that one out. Uh, in the I am statements, people are confused by what he says. Even though oftentimes it's a setup, as we saw, you know, he claimed to be the light of the world in the middle of the temple illumination ceremony, and he claimed to be the bread of life right after he fed everyone and multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And here, he claims to be the resurrection and the life, not after he has done something, but actually before he has done something, and also in kind of a confusing time. Because, see, Jesus claimed to be the res resurrection and the life, and he said this to a woman whose brother had just died to a woman who had just reached out to Jesus for help and said, Jesus, will you come help? Will you do something about my sick brother? And nonetheless, her brother still passed away and died. And then here she is in her mourning, and Jesus comes up and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she didn't quite get it, and it seemed kind of confusing, and she didn't really know what exactly he could have meant, and she really underestimated the power of this statement. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life to this woman who was mourning this loss, and she felt down, and Jesus made this claim. But you see, this statement of Jesus took place in a bigger story, and the context is of that story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, right? We don't know much about Lazarus, but we know that he was siblings with Mary and Martha. Mary's the one who poured her perfume out on Jesus' feet. And actually, this story would take place before that happens. But nonetheless, this is the family in which Jesus enters into and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what we're going to see when we look at this claim of Jesus in our life is that for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life means that Jesus is with us in this life. He's with us in the pain, in the loss, just like he was here for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he promises us an even better life to come. That the resurrection that he promises and that he gives a glimpse of in the story that we're about to read is actually one that is going to be better than the life that we have now. And so we're going to be looking at the story and reading a bit of it and seeing how exactly this connects to it in John chapter 11. And we're essentially going to read the entire thing here. 
John chapter 11. We'll also have the words on the screen, starting in verse 1, but we're going to go through this kind of section by section, and we'll come back to different points, and we're going to stop. But for the first little section, we're going to read all the way to verse 17. So if you'll find your way to John chapter 11, verse 1, you're going to see this context in which Jesus makes this powerful claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And hopefully that gave you enough time. So we're starting. Verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So John tells us a spoiler alert there. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. The Lord, the one you love, is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea, which is the area where Lazarus lived. Now, Jesus was only about 45 minutes away here, he was, but he, yet he's waiting two more days here. And then eventually Jesus will make his way there, but he, he tells them his plan, but let's go there. And his disciples say, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? I guess there are in that part of the world. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Obviously not what Jesus was talking about, so he has to correct him here. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. I like to think he's being sarcastic here. That's kind of the tone. It doesn't sound like rah-rah. It sounds like sarcasm. That's what he's saying. It's like, okay, it's a smart plan, Jesus. Let's go get stoned. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's pause there. So Martha runs out to meet Jesus, and the first thing out of her mouth, brother has been dead for four days. She reached out to him days before, and then he finally shows up, and the first thing out of her mouth is, if you had been here, he would not be dead. And see this? This statement sounds a bit angry. It sounds like she's, you know, casting blame on him. But this is also a beautiful statement of faith, isn't it? That in the midst of her pain and in her heartache, she, she knew that, Jesus, if you had been here, something would have been different. Something would have changed. That you could have healed my brother. And even though it sounds angry here, this is a statement of faith. You were here. And so it's disappointment, but that disappointment is only there because of the high expectation that Jesus will act. The high expectation that Jesus could have saved. And Mary said essentially the same thing in verse 32 that we're going to see. And it's again the statement of faith. 
It's a confession of faith, but it's one of disappointment. And the reality is, the bigger your faith, sometimes we think, well then, oh, I'm going to just screw through life and I won't ever be knocked down by these painful situations or these discouragements that come. That faith means no discouragement, it means no doubt. But the reality is that it's because of their statement of faith here, because they had such high expectations of Jesus here, that in the midst of this, they seem to be let down. And Martha was really disappointed, thinking that the best thing that could have happened in this situation was Lazarus being healed from his sickness and not having to face this. But actually, we know, as we're going to continue on this story, that there was so much more going on than that. And that this statement of faith that she made was still the reality that she, she believed strongly in Jesus, but even for those of us who believe strongly in Jesus and have big expectations for him to work in our lives, we will still face these seasons of disappointment, these seasons of doubt, this discouragement, these situations where we turn to Jesus like this and we say, if you would have shown up, you could have saved him, you could have saved her, you could have saved us. Something would have been, would have been different. You could have changed things. You could have solved this. And it's when, actually, I think, we experience these deep discouragements, these seasons of pain, these, these unanswered prayers, so to speak. I think it's in these seasons that Jesus actually does the greatest work in growing our faith. And what we're going to see in this situation is that he's going to call Mary and Martha to lift their eyes from their current situation and to think of the world to come to think of the life to come that he's going to give them. That they have faith in him to act in this life, which is huge and it's enormous, but actually the more beautiful thing that we can put our faith in is what he's going to do next. Next in our lives, and actually next in this story. And so Jesus calls Mary and Martha to think of the life to come. And he says in verse 22, but I know that even now, and this is, this is Martha still speaking, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now you see, it's in these moments of pain and these moments of suffering that, that Jesus has to remind her of this truth. Do you believe that I am the resurrection of the life and that believing in me will mean that even though they die, that you will never die? And he tries to remind her of this truth. And this is the first thing that we see about Jesus being the resurrection of the life is simply his presence in this pain and in this disappointment. That while Mary and Martha are suffering and they have just lost their brother, that Jesus is there reminding of that truth. But yet, that pain and that discouragement is still there in their lives. It's still there. They're still experiencing this. And Jesus comes in with the truth and, and tries to cut through that fog, but at this point, Martha can't quite see it. She's still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the theological statements. She's quoting the verses. But you can tell she's still down. But nonetheless, Jesus is present in that with her. He enters into her pain. And even though her answer isn't quite what he's looking for there, 
He's still calling her out. He's still working on her. And Jesus entered into this. And it's in moments like these when we believe that Jesus enters our pain as well. We believe that he enters into our seasons of discouragement. That it's actually in these times in which we might feel let down, when, when our faith might feel shaken by situations, when Jesus actually can feel the closest. Because you see, Jesus doesn't like want them to be robots or not have them be upset about her brother's death. He doesn't say that. He reminds of the truth, but nonetheless, he's not advocating stoicism here or he's advocating that they should just, oh, put your hopes in the future and, you know, this life is just temporary and death is not a big deal, especially because Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead anyway. So he could have been like, oh, well, you know, just get over it. We're going to move on. Your mourning right now is not productive. We're going to gather a crowd and we're going to raise him from the dead. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, get over it. He actually enters into this with them. But nonetheless, in entering into the pain with them, he reminds them of the reality and is inviting them, inviting Martha to raise her perspective, to remind her of that. And this is a beautiful thing to see, especially as we walk through life with people who are going to experience similar things. And if you've ever walked through with someone who has lost a loved one, lost a friend or a family member, then you know that there is an enormous difference in the vibe, in the emotions that they're experiencing, when we know that that person was a follower of Jesus, and we, when we know that that person will live forever, or if you've ever been to a memorial service or with someone who's lost a friend or a family member, and they didn't know the Lord, and they weren't following Him, and the uncertainty about maybe what had happened in the last moments of their life or, or in their last breath makes us feel without hope. But we know that when we're with friends and family members who have lost loved ones who have followed Christ, that we get to remind them of the reality that they are alive with Christ, that they are not lost, but they are now experiencing a better life than even this one. But yet, what do we do in those situations? Most of us would probably never be like, hey, stop crying, come on, you know they're alive, it's better for them. We know that that is still not appropriate, that the emotions are still going to be there, that, that the mourning and the grief still has to take place, and that we're called to mourn with those who mourn. But nonetheless, we can see this model of Jesus of entering into that pain, entering into that suffering, but yet lifting their eyes, reminding of the reality that, okay, we are experiencing this pain right now, but yet Lazarus will be alive again. He will be alive again. And that, as Christians, that we don't necessarily prepare for death in the same way as the rest of the world because we know that those who believe in Him, though they die, will live again. And for those who know Christ, the best is actually yet to come. And this changes significantly how we approach death. And this is what Jesus is calling them to here. And it continues on in verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's that statement of faith that Martha also said. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Pause there. So four times in this short little story, John actually tells us the emotional state of Jesus. And if you've been walking with us on our Wednesday night studies, we've been talking about how John really seemed to have that inside perspective, and he really seemed to be focused on Jesus' emotions and his inner thought life and his prayer life. And here, this is significant when he's telling us, okay, once, Jesus was troubled. Jesus was moved. Jesus was wept. That verse that we all memorize as elementary schoolers in order to get the Jolly Rancher, right? Jesus wept. You see, Jesus, again, he didn't come onto the scene and see Mary and Martha crying and go, hey guys, let's get over this. Watch, I'm going to do something amazing. Instead, he entered into that pain. He entered into that. And Jesus being the resurrection and the life means that he's present with us in our pain. He's present with us. He's a God who can relate to us. A God who has experienced human life because he became fully man. And so he's come and experienced these emotions and entered our pain with us. But not only is he there to be with us in this pain, the significant thing about Jesus being the resurrection and the life is that Jesus also offers a way out. We know that he's there comforting us and he's with us, but he also offers a way out. But Lord, Martha said, continuing on in the next verse, the sister, uh, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Martha's thinking ahead. Uh, there's probably another sermon you could come up with this, uh, with the idea that, you know, sometimes Jesus' ideas aren't maybe the best ideas to us. Doesn't seem like a good idea. We're going to bring stinky Lazarus out. But nonetheless, Jesus is not worried. He can put a little Febreze in the area and figure, figure this out. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, do you notice how Jesus called Lazarus by name here? And if you know much about the scriptures, God calling his people by name is a significant thing. God calls his people by name. And if I had more time to research it, I would know what exactly that meant. But instead, I'm pretty sure that he called him by name so that the wrong guy wouldn't come out. <laughs> Can you imagine how much of a mood killer it would have been um, if Jesus said, hey, come out? Ooh, Bob, sorry. Not you. Actually, yeah, can you go back? Yeah, Lazarus, you uh, on the left side, uh, second from the end, you come out. You know, he had to be specific so that Lazarus was going to be the one to come out. I haven't checked on that, but I'm pretty sure that's why he did it. Verse 44, okay, Jesus calls him by name, invites him out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and 
cloth around his face. Okay. Now, in the midst of this really intense moment, you know, people have been mourning for four days. Lazarus is dead. Jesus shows up, and he commands Lazarus to come out. And then I'm sure the people around are like, okay, what's going to happen? And then they hear motion. They might hear Lazarus' voice. And it's this intense, powerful moment when this dead man seems to be coming alive. But here's kind of how I picture it. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen, so you have this intense emotional situation, and then here comes Lazarus. <laughs> like, how else, or do you think he scooted? I don't know. Either way, that just also seems like a big mood killer. It's like you're having this powerful spiritual moment, and then here's this guy, like, probably like, tripping or trying to walk, and he's all wrapped up. And so Jesus says, guys, what are you doing? Take off the grave clothes. Like you, I'm sure everyone was just shocked and kind of afraid, and so they're just like, oh, give him some space. And Jesus is trying to, you know, shepherd this beautiful moment, and everybody else is just kind of shocked. Like, he's moving towards us, and it looks kind of funny. He's hopping. But instead, Jesus is like, hey, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed him. And now, Lazarus is alive. This dead man who was stuck in the tomb was raised from the dead and brought to life. And a lot of people believed in him after this. And what we see if you read the rest of John's Gospel is that Lazarus himself, because of this event that happened and because a lot of people saw this, Lazarus became very well known in this area. And this set in motion Lazarus going out and crowds would gather to see Lazarus, to see this guy who used to be dead, to hear the story. What was it like? He's like, you were smelly. My sister was right. It's not fun being dead. And the people who saw it were like, yeah, I know. I got there on day one and I saw the funeral and we mourned. And then Jesus showed up and changed this. And a lot of people were following around Lazarus and hearing the story and then believing in Jesus because of it. And what we see um, in John chapter 12, just a few chapters later, is that this event of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is one of the last things that really put a target on Jesus' back that led to his crucifixion. And it says in John chapter 12, the story of Lazarus' sister pouring out the perfume on Jesus' feet. It says that meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. On account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And this event took place in Lazarus' life. And he was telling everyone, and huge crowds were gathering, and people were believing in Jesus because he was raised from the dead, and because Jesus had done this miracle in his life. And we learn from history later that eventually Lazarus, either he left willingly or he was chased out of town, but Lazarus ended up leaving this area of Israel and moving to Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean, where he would pastor a church and where he would spread the gospel even more. And a few years ago, I actually got to take a trip to Cyprus um, for a field forum here. You've got to do field forums. And we get to visit the church where Lazarus was the pastor of. And it's there in Larnaca, Cyprus. It's a beautiful place. And they still have um, what they say is Lazarus' uh, tomb in there. And etched above his tomb are the words, 
here lies Lazarus, twice dead, friend of Jesus. And that became the story that marked his life. That became the identifier of who this guy is. This guy was dead twice. He was a friend of Jesus. And this set in motion for Lazarus a beautiful life of sharing the gospel and of seeing other people experience the resurrection and the life because of what he experienced too. Now it is kind of funny though how Lazarus did have to die twice. <laughs> how, you know, he didn't actually get his resurrected body, but instead he was almost just like resuscitated. They like brought him back. And so again, he was in the same body and he would have to die later. And you know, oftentimes, you know, at funerals and memorial services today, you just hear friends and family say all too often, you know, like, oh, it was just too soon. Like, I wish I had more time. Um, you know, we didn't see this coming. For Lazarus, I'm sure they weren't saying this was too soon. They're like, it was honestly too late. Uh, this guy should have been gone a long time ago. But it was amazing that we got a second opportunity, that he got a second chance at life after he died. He got two opportunities. But nonetheless, he would eventually have to die again. And this was just serving to be basically a glimpse or a hint of the resurrection to come. It wasn't in full. We know as we've studied the scripture that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus did not die again after that, but he was actually given a new heavenly body, a perishable made imperishable, and that it was that body that would be eternal. And that's the experience that we're going to have. That is the life and the new body that we're going to get. Lazarus here was just kind of resuscitated and put in the, the old body. I wonder if Jesus actually did anything about the smell, or if Lazarus woke up and was like resuscitated and then had to be like, oh man, like, you can't clean me up first and stink, and all these crowds are around. Because Lazarus was basically just like one step up from a zombie. You know, he wasn't quite zombie, but I'm sure he would be like, he was pretty close. He was just like a step up. Now, here's something interesting. Did you know, if you go to Stanford University, you can get a degree in zombieology? No. There's a, they have a professor there, uh, Dr. Vidigar, uh, PhD in zombieology, teaches classes on zombies. I don't think you can get that at South Dakota School of Mines, which is really a shame. You should talk to the administration there. But Dr. Vidigar talks about society's fascination with zombies. And she points out that really, it's almost like a sad grasp at hope um, that people have this fascination with zombies. And that's what leads to it. And she writes this. She says, even if we as a society have lost a lot of our belief in a positive future, and instead have more of an idea of a disaster to come, we still think that we're going to be the survivors. And we still want to believe that we are the survivors. And we still want to believe that we will survive. But if we do not survive, we want to at least have some semblance of life, even if it means continuing on in such an abhorrent state. That's why she thinks people are so fascinated by zombies, because in a hopeless world, even if you weren't alive, at least you could continue in some sense. But nonetheless, okay, our hope, our hope is not just some semblance of life after we're raised from the dead. It is actually a life better than this one. And our hope is not just a resuscitation like Lazarus got here, but it's actually a new body 
better than this old one. Better than this old one. And you know, this resurrection body, just like Jesus had, it was, it was recognizable in them. The disciples could see him, and they recognized him, and they knew this is our friend, this is our rabbi. But yet it was a little different and seemed to operate by some different rules. There was the one instance where the disciples were meeting in a closed room and Jesus just kind of seemed to appear and then just seemed to disappear. And then at one point, Jesus then ascended to heaven. And the reality behind that is how is that possible is because it wasn't that he just had some semblance of life, but he actually had more life than he had before. That, that it was this new resurrected body that was actually more permanent and more real than his old one. And so it operated by the picture of reality that we have beyond just the physical world, but also the spiritual world as well, and operated in that sense. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks all about this. And he talks about this body and how it's imperishable, it's glorious, it's spiritual. Now, C.S. Lewis actually believed that we're going to weigh more in heaven. I don't know if that's encouraging to you or discouraging. <laughs> For me, I find that encouraging because I've spent my whole life trying to add a little more weight to these new alarms, and so that's kind of a cool idea. But the reason he believes that we will weigh more in heaven is what C.S. Lewis calls the weight of glory that he described there. Because you see, the word glory in the Hebrew is kabod. Okay, who listened to the podcast two weeks ago on the light of the world? That's it, the podcast is over. But if you had, if you had listened to it, then you would have heard about this idea of the kabod, the kabod of God, God's kabod, this beautiful rhyme. But the kabod was this Hebrew description of God's glory that dwelt in the temple, or that dwelt um, in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Hebrew word kabod just literally means weight. And they described God's glory as a weight because you could feel it when you were near. That when God was present, there was a weight in the air, in the room. And so that's, that's the picture here, of more weightier, heavier. And in our resurrected bodies, when we're clothed with God's glory, we will actually be more present, more tangible, more weighty in our lives now. It's not going to be that like ethereal floating on clouds, like playing the harp situation. We're actually going to be more weighty, heavy, and real than we are now. C.S. Lewis <laughs> continued on talking about that, and he said that our present bodies are half real and phantasmal compared to what we are getting. Challenge this week, use phantasmal in a sentence. Our present bodies are half real and phantasmal compared to what we are getting. Compared to what we are getting. And this is the reality for those of us who put our faith in Christ. That we will have a new body one day that is even more real than our body now. That is even more real that whatever happens to our bodies in this life, if we're buried, if we're cremated, if we're turned into a tree, if we're strapped to a rocket and sent up with Elon, whatever we do with them, that he will put us back together and give us a new body that is even more real than the one we have now. And this is the reality for the Christ follower. And this is the huge difference that Jesus as the resurrection and the life makes in our lives. It's this hope of a new life 
of a new body, and this glory, this weightiness that awaits us. And so you see, this has a lot of implications for the way that we would live now. Because oftentimes there are opportunities to serve God in this world, or there are opportunities to be Christ's hands and feet that we pass up out of fear, out of protection for our own lives, for our own bodies. And we don't take the faith-filled risks that Jesus often calls us to because we're so focused on this life, because we have the perspective of just this lightweight body. But I think the invitation of Jesus to remind us that we will get a resurrected body that is even more real and a life that is even better than the life that we currently have is that we don't miss those opportunities. We don't pass up those opportunities out of fear of, of losing something in this life. That we take time to not go on vacation in spring break and to go to Mexico or to go to France and to sacrifice our discomfort in this life to serve God, to serve others. Because we know that in the life to come, we'll have plenty of time to do that. That we'll have plenty of time to be made new, that we'll have plenty of time to be healed, that we can pour our lives out for Christ now because this is the opportunity that we have to bring the gospel to a world that needs it. And in the life to come, that Jesus will make everything right. And so we don't have to fear in this life. And see, the hope of the resurrection, it shapes the way we take advantage of Christ's call in our lives today. Again, leaning into C.S. Lewis, he's addressing the idea that had been floating around at that time that was kind of brought into focus by Karl Marx, who said, you know, like, religion, and especially this idea of a resurrected body, you know, makes you useless, it makes you not care about this life and just focus on the next. And so C.S. Lewis is correcting that, and he says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It doesn't mean that we leave the present if you read history, you'll find that those who have done the most for this world are those who have understood the most of the world to come. Lewis believes that it's actually when we grasp the life to come and the world to come that we are gripped by the motivation to serve Christ the most in this life. And that is one of the main invitations of Jesus when he says that I am the resurrection and the life. That he gives us this understanding of the world to come in order to empower us and to call us to serve in this life and in this world. We're going to be talking about uh, Bible translations tonight on Hot Topics. And there's one translation that's, well, one paraphrase that's probably got more flack than it needs to. It was, it's called the Message Bible, written by Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson made it clear that, hey, this is a paraphrase and this is a project that I went on in my life. But Eugene Peterson is one of the all-time great pastors in North American history, and he's written a ton of great books, a long obedience in the same direction. Beautiful. His um, biography is amazing, just hearing his story and hearing about his life. And I first kind of got keyed into Eugene Peterson. I had heard of him, but I hadn't really looked into him much until we visited a friend of ours um, who pastors a tiny little alliance church in Blaine, Washington, Blaine is a border town right on the border with Canada, and their little Alliance Church has about 50, maybe 70 people, and the pastor there, Charles, actually grew up with Eugene Peterson. They like went to elementary school and high school with him. And it was when Eugene Peterson had retired from ministry 
he started teaching theology at Regent University in Vancouver, BC. And so that was pretty close to Blaine there. And whenever our friend Charles would go on vacation, Eugene Peterson would go preach at this little church. And this was, you know, early, mid-2000s when he had already produced the message and he had written over 50 books and he was a huge name. But nonetheless, because he cared for his friend and he loved his friend, he was going to go show up and he was going to preach at this little alliance church in Blaine, Washington. And nobody ever really knew about it. And the people there didn't make a big deal about it because they didn't care. And it was just cool. I, ever since then, I was like, man, what an awesome guy. He would go speak to these people. And so I started reading a lot of his work and I read his biography in this little book that he wrote towards the end of his life called Living the Resurrection. And in it, he just pointed out as he was facing death that our lives should be so affected and changed by the resurrection that we should not live our lives worried by burden, by all the pressures and the cares of this life, but that we do have to do the best with what we, or do what we can and do the best that we can with what we have. He said that our lives should actually be infused with hope and joy and wonder for the life that is awaiting us in heaven. And that that should infuse us with encouragement and, and possibility for what Jesus will do here, this reality of heaven. And it's in his biography that his son wrote about Eugene Peterson's last few hours, or last few days on this earth. And his son wrote that as Eugene hung kind of in that place um, between life and death, and at times it seemed like you know he was about to go, and that he was all of a sudden back. He said that Eugene would often be seemingly speaking to people who were not in the room. Um, and he would have these conversations with people and no one was there. And then he would go into these moments where he would be speaking in tongues. And then he would snap out of it and he would look his family and friends in the eyes. And he would just say, I love you. And he would start speaking love over them. And then he would be telling them just how excited he was to go be with Jesus after he died. And then his son reports, that after kind of this few days of going back and forth, his final words were, with a smile on his face, let's go. <laughs> and then he went to be with Jesus and received his resurrection body. And I thought that story so beautifully encapsulated the beauty of hope that we can have in the resurrection. The beauty of hope that even in the midst of what is the worst moment in anyone's life, as they enter death, that he would be encouraged and be excited and say, let's go. And so as we are people of the resurrection, people who know that we will have everlasting life, our lives now are so infused with meaning, so infused by the motivation of what Jesus wants to accomplish on this life, so that others can experience the resurrection that is to come just like we have that we can also look at one another and say, let's go. Let's serve the Lord. Let's, just like Lazarus did, commit our lives to being a people who share the story of how we were dead, but now are alive. And how we have this hope of a life to come, of a heavier body, of this resurrection and the life that Jesus has made possible to us. So would you bow your heads? Would you pray for me? Well, Father God, we just thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for this perspective that you've offered us. And we just recognize the difficult circumstance that this teaching for us came out of.
as you said to your disciples that it's for your sake that I'm glad I'm not there to heal Lazarus so that you can see this glimpse of the resurrection that is to come. And we just acknowledge the difficulty and the heartache in that. And we, we turn to you in the times in our lives when, when we face these difficulties. When your glory is displayed in the hard, disappointing, painful circumstances of life. God, we know that you being the resurrection of the life doesn't mean that our lives will just be easy and that we get to experience the fruit of that resurrection now, but that in this life we will have pain and trouble. But we thank you for being present with us again. Continue to minister to those of us in this room who are experiencing those situations and those seasons. And would you just empower us to walk with one another as our friends and our family experience the pain trauma of death in this life. Would you teach us how it is that we can minister and provide hope and relief in those situations? And Jesus, just as you called Mary and Martha to lift their perspective up on you, would you just do that for us today? Would you lift our eyes to see the possibilities and the hope that we have in a future of a resurrected body and a resurrected life in your presence on the new earth? God, remind us of that reality and motivate us to work unceasingly for your kingdom because of it. And Jesus, we commit to being a people who do that. So we ask that you would lead, would you direct? So Jesus, we just turn to you in worship and recognize that without you, all we would have would be death. All, all Lazarus would have had is that tomb wrapped up and rotting. But nonetheless, we worship you because you've given us life. So Jesus, would this song just be a sweet sound in your ears? And we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.